0: But it's in 1 Corinthians, and we want to look over another passage in just a second, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, um, that we need to understand an important idea as to why this is something that is never God's will for someone's life. And we're talking here about Christians. Um, And Paul is writing here uh, to those that are going through times of temptation, going through times of struggle, going through times of difficulty. This is an important passage for us to understand Um, where God is at in the midst of this. 1 Corinthians 10 and and verse 13. It says this, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Here's the important part. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will provide a way out so that you can endure it. And so when we are dealing with incredible struggles and difficulties, and this is talking about a number of different kinds of temptation, we won't get into all those this morning, but it is incredibly good news this morning for those of us that are Christians, that whenever we're in a situation where we begin to feel overwhelmed and we begin to feel as though things are too heavy. Now this doesn't mean that we can always go and solve it ourselves. We have to lean on God and rely on His power But it is incredibly good news this morning that God has promised, in verse 13, this is a blanket promise, that God will never allow us to get into a situation where there is no way out. He'll never allow us to get into a situation where the situation is absolutely hopeless and we have no path forward. But instead, as it says there, He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, He will provide a way out so that you can endure it. And so as we get into these kind of situations, we need to look for where God is moving in the midst of that so that we can find that particular path. And this is one of the reasons why, as we talk about the idea that, that suicide is a sin, it's, it is a denial of the fact that, that God is going to be able to get us through It's, it's a moment when we just say, I, I can't make it, God can't get me through this, and so I'm going to give up. And therefore... We need to understand the, the truth of this passage. Look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, we're going to look at several this morning. It's important to get these passages out in front of us. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, so, in response to what I just said, there are some of you who look at that and say, But but I feel so weak in that moment. I feel so overwhelmed. I don't think I have the ability to, to make it. In first I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In verse 9, Paul's talking about a time where he asked God to take away a burden that was on him. He had a physical struggle that he was going through. And and in verse 9, it tells of what Jesus said back to him. But he said to me, this is God speaking to him, Christ speaking to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. There's a lot to unpack there, but the big thing I want to draw out of that today is that when we go... Through times of weakness. When we go through times when we don't feel like we can make it, that is not a sign that God has abandoned us and God can't do anything to us. But rather, as we go through times of weakness and struggle, those are supposed to be moments when I look to God and say, God, I can't make it. God, I, I can't in my own power. I'm not able to do this. I need your strength. I need your power. And the beautiful thing about this verse is that it's not just that, that God is up there going, ah, I really expected you to do this on your own. I can't believe you're such a failure, but I'll give that to you anyway. That's not at all what it says there. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Why does he say it that way? Because the idea that, that, that Paul is going for and the idea that God is going for is, when we go through those moments of weakness, whether it is a a, a struggle like we're talking about this morning or a financial situation or something like that, in those moments as we go through that time of struggle, as we turn to God and we say, God, I can't make it on my own. God, I'm not able to overcome this. That is a moment when God can come in and provide His power. God is not reluctant to do that or it's not that He hates to do that, but God does that so that it is in our weakness that we show the strength of God. We're able to say, God, there there are times in each of our lives where if we're living for Jesus the way that we should, where we can look back and say, you know what? I don't know if I would have made it if it hadn't been for God. And that's part of the way that God has promised to come into our lives and to help us is that when we go through those times of weaknesses, His strength will come and it will be made perfect because it comes to us Within our weakness. now still on that first point, um, flip back over with me to Matthew chapter twelve. I want to go to the second half of what we were just talking about in that statement. It is a sin, but it is not the unforgivable sin. We need to talk about the second half of this because this is something where there is a lot. Th- this is maybe the most misunderstood thing about suicide from the Bible, and the uh, and the thing is what people have done. Is instead of understanding the biblical principle, they actually—I I, I don't know that people know it comes from—but it actually comes from Shakespeare, of all places. But in, in one of Shakespeare's plays, there is this. Um, there's this statement where somebody basically says that they want to. One character wants to kill another, but this person is is praying, um, and and as the person. Is going to go wanting to kill him. They say, "Well, I, I, I can't kill him because if I if I kill him while he's praying, then he will automatically go to heaven, which is just not at all biblical." And and there's there's people that have this idea right along with that that because somebody committed suicide and suicide's a sin. If their last action on this earth was a sin, then that means they automatically they have to go to hell because the last action on earth was a sin. And that's not biblical at all. So Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 and 32, it says here, and so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this this age or in the age to come. So the idea that's laid out here is that there is an unforgivable sin. It doesn't completely define it, but what it makes it clear is that this is a sin against the Holy Spirit. Judging from everything else that's going on in Jesus' life at this point, what this seems to be is those who during Jesus' life saw the powerful move of the Holy Spirit through Jesus, that would be the scribes and the Pharisees, those that saw that powerful move of the Holy Spirit knew that it was God and still ascribed what was of God to to Satan. And so the unforgivable sin here is something that is, is very, very rare and probably could only have happened during Jesus' life. But this idea that there is an unforgivable sin gets in people's heads. Well, there's an unforgivable sin. You combine that with what I said a moment ago. Well, if somebody's last action is a sin, then that sin's unforgivable, and so therefore uh, I guess they've committed the unforgivable sin and, and they, they, can't be, uh, they can't be saved. That all is a mess that isn't biblically true. If I, um, say I get up in the morning and I have a time of prayer and I confess my my sin before the Lord, but then as I'm, as I'm going, driving somewhere, um, somebody cuts in front, this is a sin I would commit, somebody cuts in front of me and I get mad at him and I, you know, I, I, I have this anger rear up inside of me. And then two seconds later, I get hit by somebody and I die. So the last action that I did was a sin. So does that mean that I can't go to heaven? Because I had that unconfessed sin in my life. I I sinned, and I didn't have a chance to confess it. Does that mean I can't go to heaven? No! My ability to go to heaven... Now, should we confess our sins? Absolutely on a regular basis so that we can be close to God. My ability to go to heaven is not based on whether or not I sinned after the last time I confessed. My ability to go to heaven is based on the fact that 35 years ago, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And so it was it was taken care of there. Now, I do want to confess my sins. I do want to get as close to Jesus as I can to go back to some of the things that were talked about earlier by Preston. I want all that to happen. But my presence or uh, absence in heaven after I die... Is not based on whether I'm good enough today, or whether I confessed enough today, or whether I was perfect today. It is based on the reality that Jesus Christ died for me, and I received Him into my life, and I am a blood-bought child of God. And so, this whole idea that so many people have—that well, it, I, I know he was—I know he was a Christian, but then you know he he ended up getting to this place where. Where his life wasn't, where, you know, his mind wasn't where it needed to be, and committing suicide. I thought he was a Christian, but I guess, I guess he can't be in heaven because his last action was a sin. No! If he or she genuinely confessed Jesus Christ, suicide is not the unforgivable sin. Now, it is a sin, but it's not the unforgivable sin. And so we need to understand what is being said here. I don't have time to look over there, but if you look over, I listed Romans chapter 8. If you need more about this, go over to Romans chapter 8, where it talks about that, that neither height nor depth, nothing can separate from the love of God that is in Christ. Now, let's go on to the second thing. So having talked about that, I want to talk for a second about those of us that are, that are left behind. When you're left behind, when you're the one left behind, it's incredibly hard to keep your balance. It's incredibly hard to keep your balance. So, there's a lot we can talk about here, but I I just want uh, to talk about the fact that when we're the one left behind, as a believer, um, well, even not a believer, it's an incredible struggle because there are these conflicting emotions. I, I heard one person say one time they were so mad at a loved one for committing suicide. They were like, I want... and and the fact that it had impacted other family members and they were so mad. Somebody literally said to me, I want to bring them back to life just so I can kill them myself. And, And what that expressed was, I have this anger inside of me over what he did, but at the same time, you know, I miss... There's all these conflicting emotions going back and forth. And one of the things that we need to understand, and we've talked about this before in other contexts, but it's worth bringing up today, is is this, and I'll I'll make this short, but there is a difference between forgiving and excusing. There's a difference between forgiving and excusing. Excusing means what you did wasn't a big deal, don't worry about it. Forgiving means what you did was wrong, but I love you anyway. I'm choosing to, to pursue the best path anyway. And when we're dealing with a situation like this, we should not excuse the action, say it wasn't a big deal, the choice you made didn't impact anybody, I'm not heartbroken over it. We don't have to excuse it, but we do need to work toward forgiving that person and, and recognizing that for whatever the reasons were that they pursued that, that there needs to be for healing, there needs to be some forgiveness that, that begins in our hearts. And it's going to take a while to get there because of the difficulty of finding the balance and the difficulty of, 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 um, of being able to get on a, a good piece of ground ourselves. But we need to pursue that forgiveness. Now, I want to talk for a second before we close, about two things that I think we as Christians should be emphasizing on this issue. Um, So, we've been talking very narrow for a second, or for the sermon up to this point. I want to talk about very wide for a minute. And before I give you the point, um, one of the reasons I, I felt it was important to talk about this subject this morning is that this is not... this is not a peripheral issue. Um, There are tens of thousands of attempts every year. Um, There's more people that die by suicide every year than there are homicides in this country. Um, And here's the biggest reason. We have a culture that is not very healthy. And because of that, we are seeing Increasing number of people for various reasons. Um, Young people on social media um, becoming more and more full of despair. Um, Middle-aged people who are finding their industries going away and can't find work that pays the same as before being full of despair. Um, 20-something men who are just retreating from society and sitting around playing video games all the time. We don't have a healthy culture. And because of that, when you look at at the levels of of despair and depression and hopelessness, especially among our young people, but really across the board, they are skyrocketing. And the last thing I want to talk about this morning, well, the last two things I want to talk about this morning, I I hate all that. I, I hate... Um, I hate the culture that we are handing to our kids that is creating such turmoil and anxiety and, and body issues within them. This is a moment, though, where in the midst of all this despair, there are two things in particular we as the church have. And we need to recognize how badly those around us need these two things. And we need to do a better job Of sharing these two things with the culture around us because there are because there are people who are literally dying without it. Two things. Number one is hope. Number one is hope. There are a lot of people today who look around at the way society is going and look at what the direction that they think the future is going and and then you add all the cultural issues we talked about a minute ago and they're full of despair and they don't see any reason to hope. And (laughs) there's a lot of reasons I love being a Christian. One of the reasons I really love being a Christian is that because of Jesus Christ, I know there is hope for the future. Because of Jesus Christ, I know there is hope for the future. We might mess things up. Society might be a mess. Culture might be a mess. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I know this. In the end, Jesus Christ is going to work it all out. And so there is hope in Jesus Christ. And as we look around at those that that are struggling in all these different ways, and, and we have within us this hope to know that even though things are difficult, and even though we go through times of struggle, and even though we don't know how things are going to turn out, we know that in the end... I've read the back of the book, and guess what? Jesus wins. And so, because of that, we know there is hope to get through all this and hope through times of despair. And so, as we go forward and share Jesus Christ, going back to, to what was said earlier, it is important um, that we, going back to Bill's um, comment earlier, You know, we need to point people toward the light. And when people are lost, they need that to, to know Jesus Christ, and we need to have salvation in their lives. One of the things that, one of the reasons that a lot of people in particular, I think we'll be attracted to Jesus and will want Him in their lives as we continue to go forward in the direction that we're going, is that they are hungry, they are desperate for some word of hope. Isn't it good to know this morning that there is hope in Jesus Christ? There is hope in Jesus Christ. Uh, Dallas Willard tells the story of in, uh, in Missouri years ago. Uh, this is going way back, but they were... They were bringing into some rural areas there. They had, um, they had formed something a, a, a public-private partnership to bring in electricity to some of the rural regions of, uh, of Missouri. So they were bringing it in. And, and some people there, ex- they received it, were excited to have electricity. And there were other people that, that declined it and didn't want it because it was too new or they were scared of it or whatever. And, and, and he said, for those that, to put the phrase this way, he's, Dallas Schroeder says, for those who entered the kingdom of electricity, things would never be the same again. For those that enter the kingdom of Jesus Christ, things will never be the same again. And we need to share hope with those around us. Second thing is this. The second thing is this. Community. Community. Um, I am we were reminded over the last three days, Jenna had the opportunity to play at States again. And and the the support that our community had around us, the support that our church has, and then of course we have family members too. We were just we were enfolded by all that and recognized how much again that we are loved. There are a ton of people out there today who who feel like they're on their own, who don't have any community and, and, and don't have any sense of of um of having folks around them who love them and who are caring for them. You know what I think a really, really great community is? The church. The church. Where you come in and we know what's going on in each other's lives and we pray for each other and we lift each other up and we're going through times of struggle. And, and as we do all that, we there are people out there who are disconnected in so many ways and they're looking for somebody to, to be with them because we know when you're not connected in that kind of way, depression levels go up and all that. And we need to, to do, be the church in the way that God wants us to be, not just so we can enjoy uh, the, the fellowship that we have, but that so when people walk through the door, so that when people walk through the door, they look at us and they go, Those people really love each other. I want to be a part of it. Um, there's an old movie uh, called Coach Carter. And in this movie, the basketball movie, and there's this player. Coach Carter comes in. He's trying to to he's in it's an inner city school, and he's trying to bring some discipline to the basketball team. There's this player who doesn't like the the changes that he's making. He doesn't like the discipline that's happening, and so he he quits the team. Later, he comes back and he says, you know, I I want to join the team. And, and Coach Carter says, well, you got to earn it. And so I need uh, by Friday, I need 2,500 pushups, and I need a thousand suicide drills running back and forth on the on the court. When Friday comes, he's gotten so close. He has like 500 push-ups left and like 250 suicide drills left. And the coach says, you didn't make it. You can't be on the team. I said this by Friday, and you didn't make it, so you can't be on the team. And one of the players steps up. One of the other players steps up and says, Coach, you, you said we were a team, and when one of us triumphs, we all triumph. When one of us struggles, we all struggle. I'll do push-ups for you." Another kid says, I'll run suicide drills for him," And they all step up, and together, they reach the goal for that one place. We need each other. And there are people out there who are literally on the verge of dying of that despair, and when they walk through that door, we need to love them. Because they not only need Jesus, they need a church family to know that they are loved. Will we be, for those around us, that, that group of people, if no one else will, where they find that community to thing? Okay. Heavenly Father, I, I'm thankful this morning for the hope that is in Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful for the church family that I have, who loves me and that I love them. Father, I think of those that are struggling, who feel filled with depression and despair. And I pray, Father, that we would do a better job of sharing our hope and embracing them into our community, the church. Father, I pray that we would do that for the glory of Christ. It's in His name, that I pray. And amen. Our song is six ninety three, and as we stand and sing this morning, if there's somebody on your heart that you want to pray for, somebody that uh, maybe the Holy Spirit brought to your mind that needs prayer you know is going through a time of struggle and you just want to come forward this morning and say, Father, help me to do a better job of, of giving them hope and help me do a better job of welcoming them into this community that they may be able to, to have the hope that is in Christ and the love that is in the church. If there are other needs this morning. Go back to Preston's testimony. If you uh, want Jesus Christ in your life this morning for the first time, I would love to pray with you. As we stand the sink 693, the altar in the front pew are open.